Don't hit me. Don't hit me. I'm just a kid. Obviously. Now, why were you following us? Because you guys are the best. Oh, bright kid. Oh, I know all about you. Jonathan McKenzie, head of the Unexplained Phenomena Department at GI. Edgar Benedict, author, lecturer. You forgot Renaissance man. Right. Anyway, I'm president of the Lake Hiawatha High Paranormal Club. Whoa, that sounds like big news. Junior Shadow Chasers. How many members you got? Oh, counting my cousin Frankie, too. Episode 89 of Adventure Super Train, everyone. I'm Dan. I'm your main host. This is a short-lived TV show podcast. We send out the love to shows that never got enough. We cover three shows at a time, one episode at a time. Eventually, we will get to Super Train. In this episode, we are starting off with some Rex Stout, Nero Wolf, episode four from 1981, featuring the great Tim Turner joining me. And I think it's called Wolf at the Door, I believe. Then How Green Was My Murder, episode eight of Shadow Chasers, which I believe is January of 86. And then we are hopping to July of 1960 for the 39th and final Bourbon Street Beat episode, Teresa, which is myself and the great Mitchell Hadley. Uh, And interesting note, before I hop into the episode, this episode runs a little long, so we're not going to have a closing. We're just going to end it, and I'm not going to talk too long here, and I'm going to try to keep my synopses and everything to a minimum. You didn't need to hear all that. Yeah, it's okay. Uh, What was I saying? Oh, yeah. Yeah. the first episode of Adventure Super Train went up around July 4th, 2016. It is now approximately July 4th, 2020. So happy fourth anniversary to us. We began with Cliffhanger, Cobra, Johnny Loves Chachi, and now we're Nero Wolf and Shadow Chasers and finishing Bourbon Street Beat, which I think will be like the 13th or 14th show we finished. Give me a second. Was this Bourbon Street Beat will be like the 16th or show I think we've completed I tried to go through I don't, I don't remember all of them from cliffhangers to Burberry Beat thrown in like Beyond Westworld and Garden Rings Dark Place and Man Man with Dean Lerner and Erie Indiana and Voyagers and Manimal and Green Hornet and Police Squad and Cobra and Ellery Queen and Future Cop and Immortal and did I say some of those already we've covered a lot which is awesome so I'm going to just say yeah happy anniversary to us there's actually two anniversaries going on this episode. Our anniversary, we're cool, and Teresa, the last episode of Burm Street Beat, aired July 4th, 1960. So it's the 60th anniversary of the end of Burm Street Beat. Isn't that crazy? Okay, so I'm going to stop talking. We're going to hop right to Nero Wolf. Please, thank you so much for listening, everyone, and enjoy. Episode 4 of Rex Stout's Nero Wolf, Wolf of the Door, directed by Herbert Hirschman, teleplayed by Lee Sheldon. Original air date is February 6, 1981. In this one, Wolf is woken up in the middle of the night to identify Archie's body down at the morgue. I should just leave it hanging there. Oh my gosh, is Archie dead? Well, we covered it in, in pretty good detail. Maybe I will leave it there. Is Archie dead? And if he's not dead, was someone impersonating Archie? Is someone impersonating Wolf? And what the heck is going on? Yeah, I'm going to leave it there. We'll talk about it. 
See you on the other side of this. Wolf at the Door, Episode 4, hey, of Nero Wolf, begins with Wolf in some big yellow pajamas, which is what he should be in. And um, we are gonna we're gonna chat this one up right now. And I'm with my good friend Tim Turner. Tim, what are you doing? How are you, sir? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. How about you? I'm doing okay. I am. This one, I is is one of those that, as far as I know, is not. I tried to look it up. Is I don't think it's based on one of the short stories or novels. Yeah, I At don't least, think so. So, so this is kind of the first. Well, that one with the the, the silly one with the guys in the shooting on the front porch, front step, the stoop. The second episode that was vaguely based on, like, like we said when we talked about it, that was sort of like halfway through the script, someone was handed a novel and said, "Ooh, I'll use this in there." Um, <laughs> but, but this is, I think, the first one where where it it isn't at all. Um, based on anything and what did what did you think of it i you know i i i have to say i actually enjoyed this one um so far uh like i i think i said previous episode i think the quality has gone kind of up and down uh i think this is like a second one in a row that i actually really enjoyed yeah i was a little i was a little torn on this one because i enjoyed it i i mm. I think what hmm, yeah you could tell I'm really uh I'm I'm really kind of torn up <laughs> trying to figure out what I think. I I think basically what it is is I I I enjoyed the episode and like I said last time I'm enjoying um William Conrad and, and Lee Horsley more and more with each episode. Yes. Uh, but I I just think I just think this one and I don't know if it's because I made such a point of it not being based on a wolf uh, a Rex Stout thing I think. But it doesn't feel like a Nero Wolf thing to me. It feels like it could have been for almost any detective. Mm-hmm. I kind of think, especially the way it begins. The uh, now, now I know you know the the opening scene. Yeah, as I as I mentioned, you know, it's Wolf gets a call. Archie's dead. You have to come identify his body, and Wolf goes down there. And that's the sort of thing you you wouldn't think to write for Wolf. That sounds know. almost like a Rockford Files or something. Yes. Yeah. It it, it Angel's it, dead. Yeah, exactly. Yes, and um, it, it doesn't it doesn't feel to me like a um, uh, like a wolf. It's it it's sort of like if I was thinking a way to begin a Nero Wolf script like this, I wouldn't immediately within like three four minutes have him leave the place he says he never leaves. Um, that just that just feels a bit weird to me. Um, no, it's 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 not a bad. I think I think it's it's. There's something about it that I found sort of oddly overcomplicated, but not in a Rex Stout way, in sort of a any kind of detective show kind of way, I guess. Um, the sort of reveals of all the characters, and then it keeps on revealing, and then there's another character who comes in in the end who's a big part of it. And I won't go too crazy on it, but this is, it, it's, it's weird because, like, I, I think, say, like... Um, one of the reasons why I love Ellery Queen, the the series and and the novels and such, but I love the series is that I think Levinson, Link, who were great detective writing guys in their own right, mm-hmm. obviously, and Peter Fisher, who also is 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 great, um, uh, they really I think nailed it. They got it right. Yes, um, I, I I you know the the um uh, they did. I was going to say like they're not as sort of complicated as the Queen novels, but then. The, the one that they based off of the Queen novel, the Too Many Suspects TV movie, is fairly complex. Um, but they really sort of get the feel of it, and they get the and, and the actors get everything right right off the bat, and everything's in there. So even though 
very few of those are based on Ellery Queen novels or stories. I think it, it all feels right to me. Whereas this one doesn't feel particularly Rex Stoutish to me. I didn't dislike it, but it's it doesn't. Um, uh, it it. I guess as they go along, they're they're going to be doing. Not that we've got a thousand episodes, but I guess as they're going along, I think they'll probably be doing more of this their own originals. So we'll see how they go. If if this is one of them, that's pretty good. It again, you know, sending Wolf out. And, it's it's like if you're going to send him out at the beginning, and I understand the thing with Archie's dead, but you know Archie isn't dead, <laughs> so it's 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 so so it's 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 a slightly strange thing. I it it just felt a little weird to me to have that open up the episode just because you know Archie's not dead and he's going to find out shortly, and to have him leave the house which he never does for something like I don't know. You you think he would have sent like Fritz maybe. You know, and just said, you know, Fritz, you you know him as well as I do. Go go have a look at him. Um, but I mean, I guess I guess it's Archie, and they're trying to make him. They're, they're trying to make the wolf, I think, um, a nicer wolf than yes. he usually was. So I I can see him being like, Archie's dead, and that I'm a ter- I do terrible William Conrad impersonations. <laughs> uh, Archie's dead, and then so so he would go, but it still feels slightly off now. Yeah, having said that, I I did enjoy um, most of the episode. I'll be honest, it was, it was a slightly weird one in that, unlike the previous one where I can remember the ending very clearly, this one I kind of have to think at it to remember how it ended. Not that we're going to talk about the ending, but I have to think about it. <laughs> and now I'm remembering it. Okay, yeah, this it's, I think it's a pretty solid episode. What what uh, what else do you have on this? One? What else do you like about it? Well, okay. Uh, all right. First of all, first of all, there, my favorite character in this episode is Patrick Pendleton, uh, played by Richard Shaw, with, I mean, one of the the best pimp outfits I've ever seen. Everything is track suit or or leisure yes. suit, yes. with the shirt unbuttoned all the way down, with an enormous gold chain and medallion. <laughs> I mean. It's just, I, I don't even remember his, any dialogue from his scenes because I couldn't stop laughing at this absolutely ridiculous outfit that they had in yes. it. I mean, he just looked like a clown. I mean, even and for the, 1981. And even the, the beanbags, yeah, definitely don't help. Yeah, oh yeah, the beanbag chairs, yeah. Um, this this is another example, and I think it's something that, that uh, this series so far has done well and that's bringing in lots of interesting character actors um like at richard shaw uh mary fran from new heart yes uh who i immediately recognize uh with the, with her big hair and everything uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh there's uh the the landlady of the building that archie goes to uh, oh yes that lady yeah, yeah looking for clues as soon as i saw her i was like yeah, it was like where have i seen her where have i seen her it's like oh that's right She's from the beginning of Halloween too, when yes. the knife ah! that yeah. she was using to make, you know, cut the sandwich with or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, yep. Um, and of course, you get uh, what continues to be a jarring thing for me. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, a shot of the twin towers. Yes. Uh, which you just don't, you just don't expect, and you forget mm-hmm. that it, you know, that was that was a normal thing if you're going to do a show about New York. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, Mrs. Rhodes, uh, her mansion, 
it's the same one that was uh, Janet Lee's home in uh, the Forgotten Lady episode oh. of Columbo. Wow. Yeah. And uh, I recognized that immediately, too, because uh, mm. uh, I'm a huge Columbo nerd. Um, mm. But <laughs> there's a lot of you know, interesting little fun bits in this. I, I do agree with you that the mystery is overcomplicated. It's it's more complicated than it needs to be. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you've got this, this whole thing where people are being um, called supposedly by Archie or Nero Wolf. Yes, yes. And, you, you know, they can't figure out what that is. And so eventually Wolf gets a phone call from himself. Mm-hmm. And so he, ha- you know, he has the conversation with him, and it turns out they bring the guy in. Uh, I forget what his function in the story really is, mm. um, but uh, it's Joey Foreman. Yep, yeah. And they do, oh, do do an impression of me, and he does, and it's the worst <laughs> dubbing. Oh yeah, it's a little. It looks so silly. <laughs> it does, yeah. It's it's um yeah, because you know I tried to do a Conrad impersonation earlier. And it just turned out terrible. This guy does a much better one, but he's helped out by the fact that there's Foley involved. Yes. <laughs> I had nothing involved. Um, well, not Foley, but dubbing. You know, you know what I mean. You know what I mean. Um, and it's 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 tricky because um, there there's actually a, a really great mystery movie from the mid '70s that if I give if I give the name of it, it'll kind of give away what the ending is. But it's a movie. I'll just say. It's got a great cast. Um, the poster has, I think, like a boat on it, like a sailboat, and it was co-written by Stephen Sondheim. And that's all I'm going to say. Oh, I know which one you're talking about. Okay, because that one, the first time I watched that, which was probably 15 years ago or so, that has a similar moment where there, an important part of the plot revolves around someone saying, uh, you know, like, watch me do an impersonation of Steve. And then they speak and it's like Steve's voice dubbed in. Yes. And, and you're like, um, yeah, that's not you doing an impersonation of Steve. That's the post-production team helping you out. And, and that, that's what I, whenever I, I hear something like that, um, uh, which is what this episode does. I always think of that movie, which I recommend highly. You guys can look it up, <laughs> um, but I don't want to ruin it because that is sort of an important part of it. I'll, I'll ruin other random movies, but we won't ruin this episode. Um, and I actually, I actually have the, the the scene on right now, and he's with Archie in the beanbag and the tracksuit and um, the weird apartment with like a cage in it. And yeah. um, maybe it's a great apartment. I don't know. If it's just the uh, yeah, looks a bit strange oh, to me. God. Uh, th- there is a great line after they've met. Uh, Joey Foreman's character uh, was it Johnny Allen I think um, and uh, Archie is just he can't believe it He's, uh, he says wow it's uncanny on the phone he even sounded fat <laughs> and they cut to Conrad and he's got this just shoot daggers look on his face it's, oh god <laughs> uh, it's um what else do what else do you have on this? You know what's what's weird about this one is that um, some of the episodes, like the last one, I took a ton of notes. This one, I only have about half the notes, and I'm not sure why that is. Well, hmm. yeah, I, I think it's because this one, you know, like our previous episode was based on a short story. I think this feels like it was based on a short story that they mm-hmm. they felt they had to okay, we got to complicate it a little more. Mm-hmm. To extend this out to a, 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 f- a full 
what, 47, 40 yeah. minutes. Um, and, uh, I mean, the, the whole thing is about, like, trying to find, uh, recover this green lacquer box that's been stolen, and then you come up to this uh, later story with uh, Rebecca Rhodes and the fact that she had supposedly uh, shot her husband and they've covered it up. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it almost feels like two stories that they kind of smushed together. Mm. Yes, it does. It does kind of have a feel. Yeah, no, you're 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 absolutely right. It does have the it, because it has the thing. It has the mix of the yeah the impersonators uh, and the green lacquer box, and then somewhere in there you're introduced to like this sad woman sitting in her huge mansion. And you know the rule: if you got to be sad, at least be in a huge mansion. <laughs> and you see this melancholy woman sitting <laughs> in this huge mansion. And and you're you're right. It's sort of. Um, it's sort of two two storylines kind of colliding. What's in the green lacquer box, and who killed this guy? That don't quite collide, right? Uh, I, th- I it just it does it does it doesn't doesn't feel completely satisfying to me. In the end, I enjoyed the episode, but but yeah, I, I think you're right there. It almost feels like they either took two short stories or someone felt the need to overcomplicate it or something. But it does kind of like keep you like by time that woman shows up, I was like. Who is this now? Do we need someone else? Isn't this a little late? Yeah, for like a it, major character to show up in the plot. Yeah, her whole story seems to literally come like right in the third act. Mm-hmm. And there's, you know, I, and I remember thinking when I was rewatching the episode, uh, I remember thinking, did did I switch discs? Yes. <laughs> is this the same episode? <laughs> Because suddenly she's such an important part of it. Yeah. And you you generally, I mean, unless you're fudging around with the mystery like Friday the Thirteenth did. Yeah. You you don't uh, you don't you don't introduce like a character that important that you introduce them a little earlier on, kind of, and you you don't like because suddenly she becomes a major part of it, and it's sort of jarring because she looks kind of dazed throughout it and she doesn't look well at some point. Yeah, and she's playing the piano mournfully. Yes, and, <laughs> and so it's 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 almost like um, like there there's it's it's almost like she should have been a character who just like maybe showed up for one scene, maybe gave us some vital information and went from there. But right. suddenly it's like it becomes about her and the green lacquer box. And I got to tell you, the green lacquer box does get more and more MacGuffin-y as it goes along. <laughs> yes. Uh, if if it isn't already a huge MacGuffin at the beginning, because it's one of those things where like by the time they actually get it. Wolf is like, oh, I know what's inside it. So, okay, okay, well, that's great. Well, you're the detective. I would expect that. But um, <laughs> how about some revelation? Uh, wouldn't that be great? I yeah. don't know. Um, let's see. What else do you have on this? Mary Fran's on the TV, right? On the TV, on the television right now, and she's uh, she's well quaffed. Yes. Uh, <laughs> it, it's funny. I honestly, I've never. This is the first thing I think I've ever seen her in outside of New Heart possibly the same here i'd have to look because i know she died like within a what couple of years of that show ending mm. she i think she had a heart attack she was only like what like 50 or something yeah, no, she, she wasn't that yeah. old um but no i i think i think my uh looking at my notes here i think of uh well the one thing that and we discussed this uh, last time that has really i've really enjoyed is each episode, it really does seem like they're they're really trying to develop those the relationships of the four characters in that brown stuff. Within the home, yes, yeah, I agree. Yeah, 
and it's fun. And, and that is that kind of thing that even if in, in an episode that I might think is not as good, uh, it might be subpar or even uh, I, I'm sure there's going to be one I'm going to see that's going to be dull maybe, you know, but I love their interaction and that those scenes always liven the episode up. I, 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 I agree with you. And I will say my, my own experience with, um, with this episode is that I watched uh, the one before it, before I died, this one, and the one after it, um, all at more or less the same time. I had meant to. I was just going to do one, but I got to the end of before I die, and I thought I enjoyed that. Let me throw in another. And I thought I got to the end of this one. I thought I didn't enjoy that as much, but I'm liking the main characters. I'd like to see them for a little bit more. So I put on the next episode. Now, granted, I think I got halfway through the next episode and ran out of steam, but still, the thought was there that the, the characters are um, uh, they are doing a good job. Yeah, I, I, I think there's so much fun. I actually wouldn't have minded if they just did, like, uh, I'd say, like a Christmas special, mm. and it's just uh, them at home, and Wolf is just annoying the crap out of Fritz in the kitchen. Oh, yeah. And, and fussing about, and you know Archie's rolling his eyes and whatever, mm. and and I could watch that for an hour. Me too. <laughs> yeah, and there would there wouldn't have to be a mystery. I mean, they could obviously pull in a mystery, but I could watch them just. Um, that would have that would have been great to just like if 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 you had just done that, where they just hanging out. Like we don't have a mystery today, so let's just hang out. <laughs> I would have loved that. That would have been great. Um, what else do you have on this? I, I've got a note here, Disco Girls Disco. And I think that's um, the apartment they're in. Uh, there's a poster on the wall for the guy who pretends to be Archie, I believe. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I think that's it for my notes. But, boy, okay. uh, I, I did, again, I, I absolutely loved uh, just the, the, the whole 70s flavor, even though it's 1981, um, with Richard Shaw, oh my God, he's in. I think he's in two scenes, and both outfits are legendary. Yes, they're great. <laughs> yeah, it's it's and it's almost you. You almost expect him to do a little bit more, but he just kind of shows yeah. up a couple times, and maybe maybe that was his home, and he was like, "Oh, you can come in. I'm not going anywhere. I'm just staying here. I'm comfortable. Yeah. I got my blue beanbag chair. <laughs> I got the impression that that his studio was also his." His uh, swinging singles pad. Yes. Uh, All he needed was a glitter ball. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I guess that is, um, yeah, I think that's all I have for uh, Wolf of the Door. Uh, I think it's definitely worth watching. And Is it the best? Nah. And and that mystery is overcomplicated, but um, uh, I think it's definitely worth watching. So if if you don't have anything else, uh, Tim, please, where can we find you online? Well, uh, I am the uh, co-host of uh, Beauty, the Beast, and the Bees with Kelly Hogaboom. Uh, we're on iTunes and SoundCloud. Um, we basically uh, discuss uh, B-movies. Uh, we tend to cover a lot of 80s schlock, uh, slashers, uh, low-budget, that kind of thing. Uh, as a matter of fact, we our, our last episode, we did feature Ninja 3, The Domination, Yay. which uh, if you... If you've never seen that, please do yourself a favor and uh, award yourself that like a it's gift. A joy. Yes, yes. <laughs> and uh, we're also on our uh, website, which is bbnbs.net, uh, and uh, we have our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram feeds uh, where you can uh, enjoy our uh, our ramblings. Yay! 
Thank you again. And um, next up, might as well be dead. Ooh, hyperbole. I love it. So um, uh, thank you again for joining me, Tim. And we are going to go to this. Shadow Chasers, Episode 8, How Green Was My Murder, aired January 9th, 1986, directed by Tony Mordente, written by Susan Goldberg and Bob Rosenfarm, who had written Amazing Grace earlier in the season, and in this one, Jonathan uh, is called to, I believe somewhere in Pennsylvania, Lake Hiawatha, is that a place? Uh, somewhere, somewhere, somewhere and somewhere. Uh, and he is called there to investigate the death of a, a botanist, a famous botanist. You know, one of those world-famous botanists that you're always hearing about, who owns this enormous estate filled with lots of lots of foresty stuff and, and things like that. And he was apparently, he was in his greenhouse late one night, and apparently... Mm, his plants may have killed him. So, Dr. Clark dies. Did the plants kill him or not? Morehouse sends Jonathan to investigate. Jonathan is actually uh, trying to meet up with a, like a panthocypitus, pantho, pan, pan, ram, ramapithesis, ram, ramapithis? Um, you know, something related to his his area of study, an expert on this this thing um he's supposed to meet up with him in three days because this guy's having a stop over at the an airport nearby and so he needs to uh get there in three days so he wants to wrap this whole thing up as quickly as possible and he doesn't want to bring in anyone else he doesn't want to bring in benedict he goes um to the only like um motel in uh this area and he flips on the tv and there's like a local lake hiawatha live uh kind of cable accessy type johnny carson kind of show and um much to his surprise he recognizes the guest on the show we're very honored today to have a very special guest in the studio one of america's great intellectuals a true renaissance man i'd like to introduce to you now this time author lecturer plant specialist edgar edgar
So much to Jonathan's uh, chagrin, he is hooked up with Benny again, and they go to the estate of Dr. Clark, and they sort of eavesdrop in on the will being read. But it's a very 1986 kind of will. Video will. I love it. Death of vision. Well, we all knew that this day would come, and I knew that you'd be out there waiting to see who'd get what. <clears throat> to my darling sister Beth, my cousin Eddie and his lovely wife Edna, my devoted staff of servants, and uh, my dear friend, Chief Waters, I leave. Absolutely nothing. What? Nothing? Oh, I me. told you we'd get diddly. You're human. You can fend for yourselves and to control your own destinies. Now, with this in mind, and after careful consideration, I have decided to leave the entire estate to my beloved plants. No, Your cousin. Oh, brother. You could have gotten us some money. What's the matter with you? What kind of a lawyer is this? I simply followed Dr. Clark's instruction. I didn't make up the will. How could he do this to me? Yeah. I'm his sister. I get nothing. Saying if I marry this bush, I can get in on the inheritance. Ow! A gentleman, this is a private meeting. I know him. It's a guy from the Bergman show. Well, now you've really got a story at our expense. No, excuse us, please. We're from the Georgetown Institute and Patrick. All we want is a little time in the greenhouse for some scientific investigation, and then we'll be on our way. The family gets nothing. The money goes to the plants. Mm. So Jonathan and Benny that evening uh, kind of break back on the estate because they get thrown out, obviously. And uh, they are looking to check out the greenhouse. And they go to investigate the uh, the greenhouse just to um, just to see the scene of the crime. And they meet up with uh, C.T. Weatherly, who is uh, supposed to be Jonathan's contact in the area, but he's a kid in his teens um named corky and uh, you heard him at the beginning of the episode he and frankie his cousin frankie are um members of this this group junior shadow chasers and so they'll begin to investigate uh what's going on uh they see there's like an ekg kind of hooked up to the plant so they can register sort of emotion through there the doctor was experimenting with that they they end up uh his sister 
um, Ms. Clark shows up and throws them out of there. And although they do sort of get the wind picks up and leaves are everywhere and things are crazy. And it looks like throughout the episode, random moments, that the plants are kind of going crazy. And there's a guy who... I guess it's supposed to be Sinner Sinner. He gets two act breaks where he's creeping around in the woods. But if you've been paying attention, he was actually in... He was named in the um, in the will scene, um, which is interesting. We'll talk about that. And it's kind of... I don't know if it's misdirection or what it is exactly. Um, but, uh, yeah, so Jonathan and them, they're beginning to investigate. They take a soil sample of the top of the mountain where all of the plants in the greenhouse are from and find um well here's here's you'll, you'll hear it in this uh they go corky takes them to his house to meet frankie the other member of the club all right it's only going to take a few minutes right? enter Frankie's awesome. She's dressed exactly like Benedict normally dresses. There's a huge um, photo, blown up photo of Benedict uh, up against the wall, holding one of his books. Uh, it's it's a very very funny scene. Possibly the the funniest scene the show has actually done so far. And um, the sister is killed. She is found halfway down the mountain, wrapped in vines. Oh, boy. But it's slowly becoming clear that maybe the plants have something to do with it, but they didn't cause the murder. Now, I'm not going to go too far into this, but they find a way to sort of call out the murder, find out who the murder is using the EKG. And, uh, yeah, I won't go too mad on that. Well, let's dive right into um, my discussion. My discussion. Hello, everyone. Um, yeah, yeah. How green was my murder? Episode eight. Uh, again, they're still doing. It, you know, they're not. They're not meat cutes. Um, I mean, Jonathan and and, and Benny are lovely, but um, uh, but they're meat meat wackies again in this one. Yeah, like like you heard, Jonathan's in this slightly seedy 
um, motel and, and all of a sudden Benny is on TV and Benny is in the room. I don't know how he got in the room. I would think Jonathan would strike me as the sort who would close the lock the door on his motel room. I always do that whenever I'm in a seedy motel. Not, not too long ago, actually. So, um, let's just let, let's just start with this so so um i just want i just want to bring up the um the two members of the club there one of them is a corky's played by robbie wrist who has been in a ton of stuff very uh i didn't realize all the stuff he did involving teenage mutant ninja turtles but he um he is best known in pop culture well maybe in, in for the teenage mutant ninja turtles but of a certain age he's best known as being oliver the um you know the boy the we need to add an extra kid to the Brady Bunch because the the kids aren't as cute as they used to be, kind of thing. Um, well, they did that with ages enough, didn't they? Didn't they like add Ralph Macchio in the final season or something? You know, when it's like when you've got a show where one of the selling points is how many darn kids are in the show, and when you get to the end of it and your ratings are falling and you have to add another cute kid, eh, I mean, Different Strokes is sort of a variation of that because. I mean, Willis and Kimberly are cute, certainly, but Arnold was the cute, precocious kid. Then in the end, they had to add another kid, and I guess, hedging their bets, they made a little white kid. I don't know. But, um, but, but yeah, the, so, so obviously we all know him as Cousin Oliver, and um, now Cousin Oliver didn't, um, didn't wreck the show. I mean, he shows up, and he's fine. He's only there for, what, six, seven, eight episodes at the end of the fifth season. I'm fairly certain the show, the show was so archaic. <laughs> by time i mean it's if you've seen the brady bunch movie you you know that's one of the 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 um the the fun things about that movie is is pointing out how archaic the show was i mean if if you if folks didn't know better and you showed them an episode of brady bunch um there's every good chance they'd sort of watch it and think it was a 60s show but it actually began in 69 and most of it took place in the 70s so so the fact that 73 74 when what all in the family's in its like fourth year and Sanford and Son is in its like third year and, and you know um, Happy Days is beginning. Well, Happy Days was meant to, but you know, you know what I mean. Um, Brady Bunch ends up looking goofy, but yeah. So, so he's he's the Corky, and then Frankie's played by Mandy Ingber, who I, I you you'll know her when you see her. Apparently, she's she she had a best selling book, uh, something yoga related, and for like the past twenty years, she's been like a health and wellness fitness person to the stars. Um, but she's she's great in this episode. She's one of the Tortellis. Um, uh, Cheers and the Tortelli spinoff, which I'd completely forgotten about. Um, but she's great. You'll know when you see her. And she, the scenes with her are probably some of the funniest bits. That 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 opening scene is, is hilarious when she first shows up. She's hiding behind a plant, shaking the plant. And to, yeah, it's really great. And then the way um, when um, uh, they're, they're in the greenhouse later on, and she's explaining what Dr. Clark was doing. And then Jonathan says, oh, and this is because of this. And she kind of like goes, way to go, Dr. J. She gives a little punch punch in the chest, kind of. She's awesome. Um, uh, so so those are the two two main ones. Um, well, those are the two my two favorite characters in here. Everyone else is kind of... Um, it's interesting because once it stops being the plants, it sort of becomes a, okay, now who who could it be? that killed um, Dr. Clark and then killed his sister. And the problem with the episode is it's one of those things where if it is a mystery, you haven't really given us a lot to go on. There's the chief of police. There's the lawyer. There's the really annoying um, um, Aunt Enid or whatever the heck it is. Her name is and her husband who doesn't really do anything. And, uh, you know, there are a couple servants. And um, they're, they're, 
it's weird because they what it comes down to is um you don't think it's Enid and her husband I mean I don't think I ever for a moment thought it was Enid and her husband they try to make it seem like the chief is um is being a suspicious guy and I don't know interruption normally I don't do second takes on things as you can tell from the way I just stumbled over that intro but in this I am um, just because I was talking about Chief Waters and I as I was talking about Chief Waters I came up with several theories and thoughts about his character after I'd recorded them so I thought I'd re-record them now so what you're hearing now is actually going over the top of my original brief discussion I'm trying to give a brief brief discussion of Chief Waters so I'm gonna go through what you see in the episode boom Lake Hiawatha stuff like that um uh the the uh benny on the um on the local cable access talk show and then you see the reading the will and you see all these characters and my cousin this my da 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 my sister bob cheap my friend chief waters da 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 and you just see chief waters very briefly later on and they don't the only thing you see about chief waters is chief waters everybody's white Except very white. Very white, yeah. I got staying power. Um, they're very white except for one of the servants. One of the servants, actually, one of the servants is a big white guy, but one of the servants is not white, and Chief Waters is not. Chief Waters, I, I believe, I'm not sure of the um, ethnicity of the actor, Joseph Glegos. Glegos? Um, I, uh, 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 I, I, um, uh, but I can... Um, give you the the character I believe is meant to be um, Native American. So he's a so I, I'm not sure quite the way to go around this. So it's like my friend Chief Waters, and you see a gentleman who is, uh, uh, as far as I can see, my guess is a dumb white guy meant to be Native American. And then you get the first scene in the greenhouse, and um, uh, the sister and Corky and Benny and Jonathan leave there. And then suddenly all the wind starts whipping up, and leaves are everywhere, and bushes are flying all over the place. And then at the act break, it cuts to Chief Waters standing there, looking at them, looking at them like, you jerk. No, I don't know how he's looking at them. But he just stands there kind of sneaking around kind of looking at them i guess suspicious it's an act break it has to be suspicious looking at them kind of suspiciously and we see that there is nothing going on around him only around the 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 other people the second act more or less does the same thing and I think it's at the point when Benny and Jonathan and Corky are up at the top of the mountain. I could be wrong. Taking the soil samples like the tree falls and stuff. And you see the guy like looking at them again. Or it's around, I'm sorry, it's around when they discover the body of the sister. But it doesn't matter. That's at the top of the mountain too. But then in the next act, as we're all standing around minding our business, you have this very white cop kind of like Jonathan and Benny. I'm, he doesn't say that. I'm bringing you in. And the Chief Waters walks up and says, hey, inspector whatever, or cop whatever, let him go. Oh, Chief, come on, let him go. And then Jonathan's like, Chief of Police. And so it's it's a weird, 
it's kind of a weird because it's kind of a weird it's kind of a weird thing because i think it's presented uh, forgive me if i'm wrong is it not presented is that not a red herring is he not presented as a red herring because the moment we discover he's chief of police we don't hear anything else about him he, he he says he was sneaking around keeping an eye on them but we only hear chief waters and we don't hear what kind of chief i mean i would he could be a fire chief he could be a police chief he could be a native american chief he could be and but we don't hear exactly what he is. And then we see him sneaking around and we hear specifically the sisters say all of these plants were taken from one specific top of the, uh, spot at the top of the mountain. And so I think what they're doing is they're kind of implying that maybe this guy we saw briefly who we didn't really hear from or anything, but we just heard he's Chief Waters. Maybe he's maybe he's controlling the plants maybe that top of that mountain was some sort of native american land that was desecrated by the uh, uh dr clark and 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 what comes up there is why kill him he loved plants why kill him well if he if he denuded the top of the mountain maybe that's got something to do with it and maybe the reason why the tree almost falls on Jonathan, Benny, and Corky is because they're taking the soil set. Maybe there's something going on there. I don't know. But, and this isn't short at all. This is taking as long as my previous thing uh, took to say. But it, it's interesting because you, you just, you don't even meet him. You, you don't, it, it, it's just like, and da-da-da, and my sister, and the da-da-do, da-da-da-da, and chief, like I said, Chief Waters, and just see this guy, and he's like, okay, he's, yeah, he, chief, chief of what is he, um, and then even Jonathan, like, chief, the way he says it is almost like chief, like you're gonna break into a rain dance or something, forgive me, you, you know what I mean, this was 1986, um, I, 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 please forgive me, um, but it's, it's, um, it's weird because, He's kind of he's at the end of two act breaks, and to me, you don't put someone at the end of two act breaks standing around suspiciously unless they're meant to be suspicious. And to me, in my mind, his character is meant to be like maybe, maybe if it's meant to be a murder mystery, because I mentioned the lack of suspects. If it's meant to be a murder mystery, then there's every possibility that he, well, he is meant to be one of the suspects until he steps forward as the chief of police. But but and the reason why he's meant to be one of the suspects is because he's Native American, and maybe he's the one. Maybe he's a shaman. Maybe he's the one bringing on the forces of nature to kill Doctor Clark and then kill anyone else who gets in the way, like the sister. I don't know. The thing is, though, once. It's revealed that, yeah, he's the chief of police. He immediately forgets that he saw all these things, the trees falling and the wind going crazy and the leaves flying, all, and he, he immediately forgets that none of that affected him. He immediately forgets all of that, which is really weird, which is a really weird thing because it seems to be setting him up as a red her herring. I would say it seems to be setting him up as a red herring, but then the writers or someone forgot that that's what they were meant to be doing because he's introduced so casually and it's not like it's ever said like yes i've been watching you for days you know he said i've been you know following you guys for a while and da -da -da. but it's it's not like they have seen you know they saw corky with the the fake tree branch bush thing but they didn't see that that it's it's just a weird because usually a red herring is sort of called out a bit more than that in here it's kind of like it's a red herring it's a red herring so, oh no it's not forget about it something else it's it's very weird, and I'm going to stop talking about it now, because two things. One, that may not have been their intention at all. And two, the first time I rewatched this, 
I forgot that Chief Waters was introduced uh, uh, during the reading of the will. So when I saw him lurking about, I thought he was maybe either, forgive me, one of the servants who I'd missed because he wasn't the white guy. Like everyone else, forgive me again. I, I, I don't mean to sound horrible, but um, or he was like someone from the, I mean, it's like Hiawatha. It's it's one of the, he's one of the native people. And he's there, like, maybe he was sent to, like, kill this guy and anyone else involved. I don't know. I'm going to stop talking because this has gone on way longer than the original chat. But does that make any sense? Are you guys watching that? Okay, I forget what I say next. But I'm going to take a deep breath. I'm going to go to that. Uh, and forgive me, though, if, if I mention my previous chat um, in, in the rest of my chat here. This segment went on too long. But does it make sense? Yeah, deep breath. Back to it. Um, we'll leave the chief, and we will go back to uh, what I thought of the episode. Um, I think it's okay. I liked it more the second time I watched it this time around. The first time, when I knew what was going on, when I because I hadn't seen it in a while, and I couldn't remember exactly where it was going, but when I knew what was going on the second time, I liked it more. Um, uh, Corky is fine. Frankie is great. Once she shows up, I think it picks up. The scene where the guys are and the, the kids are at the um at the 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 encephalograph looking at, and they, they basically realize that um the plants know who the killer is so when the killer enters the greenhouse the, the it's going to well go off the charts it's going to go from the straight line on on the on the readout to and there's just a, the way that's handled and who how it's revealed and I'll I'm probably going to give away who the killer is um well actually if if you think about the suspects I gave you earlier on and the ones that are dead and the ones that couldn't be, then there's only one. There's really only one suspect. And yes, this is one of those episodes where there is a second video well hidden away, which has other information on it. Um, but but yeah, I think I think the episode it's it's a, it's a weird episode in that um, I can't tell with some of these scenes. Like there there's a scene with the lawyer secretary where he is waiting to see the lawyer of the estate, who's the guy who's now in charge of the estate, uh, giving the money to the plants, as it were. And um, we're like, there's a secretary there who's just flirting like crazy with Jonathan. And Jonathan puts on a lot of charm here. He's charming the secretary. He charms Miss Clark as best he can, but Benny keeps putting his foot in his mouth and ruining it. But he's charming the uh, secretary. You know, the secretary's um, flirting with him, and she goes up on a ladder, showing off some leg in her skirt, and then she falls into his arms. And um, But he's, you know, Jonathan's just trying to get some information about the estate and learns that Miss Clark was there earlier in the day kind of thing. And it's a weird scene that um, kind of goes on for three or four minutes and the only point of the scene is Jonathan learns that Miss Clark was there earlier asking about the estate and um but that that's and, and so I'm wondering is that filler I really can't tell if that's filler it's not particularly funny I mean the lady who plays the secretary is is attractive you know she got you know pardon me she got nice legs and and Jonathan has a slightly bemused look on his face throughout but I can't tell if it's filler or not it's it seems to me like it might be filler um or it might be a comedy scene i i, I honestly don't know um and it's it's weird too the um that scene you that that bit of that scene the talk show uh, scene that you have uh, i i edited some of that out because that seems to go on a bit too long too and even even the scene with um uh, Dr. Morehouse at the beginning where Jonathan's explaining why he can't go because he has to go talk to the expert guy and everything. 
that seems to go on a little too long. It's it, it's a it's a weird episode where it's not paced very quickly at all, and it's kind of one of those where they get to the property, they get thrown off the property, they do something, they go back to the property, they get thrown off the property again. I could have sworn like the chief throws them out, of, uh, tells them to leave town like five times. I don't know, but um, it's it's it's. Like I said, the, the second time I watched it, I liked it more. Um, I wish the closing onslaught of the plants and vegetation attacking the house of the killer um, wasn't given an explanation because I don't think the explanation makes much sense. Um, and it kind of brings down the um, the excitement of that, that sequence. Um, but overall, it's a decent episode. I mean, Jonathan and Benny are fine in it, and it's... Um, and there is kind of the seesaw back and forth. Did the plants do this? But why would they do this? If, if the plants felt they were being mistreated or something like that, why why would they go after like someone who loved them as much as Dr. Clark did? Although there is a point where Dr. Clark says something on lines of like, um, um, well, there, there is something where like he, he talks about why he, well, you heard why he's given the plants all the, all the money and everything. But there's, there is something weird about like, he spends all his time in this, giant greenhouse filled with plants that he took out of the ground and brought into this greenhouse and it's sort of like mm, i guess he's studying them but um can he could he is there a way he could study them like out there rather than bringing them all in here i don't know i'm not a botanist neither is jonathan jonathan um is is not into botany that wasn't his thing that that comes up in the episode um but yeah i i mean i would say it's it's not a it's not a great episode, but I think it's a good episode. And if you can get into it and kind of catch the groove, <clears throat> it's it's tricky. There is there is a sort of a lot of misdirection and a lot of is it the plants? But you you never really fully get the feeling that it is the plants. So it becomes who is it? But then when you whittle down the suspects, there's really only one suspect, and then it's just a question of how they get the suspect. Um, it may have been a better half-hour episode. Um, maybe may have been a better episode with more suspects in it. But it's it's definitely, I think it's worth a viewing. And it's it's a good time. I was entertained, especially the second time. And once Frankie shows up, it, I think it really becomes great. Um, I guess let me hop in and, and spoil this right now. I don't want to go, I don't want to go too much longer. I have to meet a, um expert at the airport in about 15 minutes. So I got to wrap this up. Uh, but there is... So, mm, spoiler, the, the killer is the lawyer, the attorney, um, because there's a second will, um, but the first will makes him the executor of the estate, which means he's control of all of the money and the estate. So that means he's going to make a lot of money being the executor for these plans. But there was a second will that Dr. Clark drew up, which did not make him the executor and it has something to do with the fact that he found the silicone in the ground and it's a certain kind of silicone and it's going to make him very rich and so he said being that rich he's decided to the second well is more or less mean since i'm going to be since the land is worth so much i'm not just going to focus on my estate i'm going to give all my money and the, the money made from the silicone to the parks departments and stuff and you know my new executor will be the president of the united states dr clark seems a little wacky at times and maybe you heard occasionally in the music the music joe harnell i think does the music um sometimes he overdoes the wacky in the music now i i, I will say so okay well let, let me keep on this so so the final sequences are jonathan and benny go to see the attorney 
basically say, we know you killed him, but you, you've won. We can't do anything. We've been thrown out of town. And then the attorney goes home and basically gets attacked by every bit of vegetation, craziness in his house, and then ends up confessing to the sheriff or chief police there who shows up. And uh, Benny is there and Jonathan is there. And it turns out that um, you watch the scene. The scene is crazy. I mean, there are branches flying through windows. It looks like an entire, like, bush is shoved through a, like, glass doors at the top of a staircase. All kinds of craziness and all kinds of things planted all around the house that... And it, in the end, it's said that it's it's Frankie and Corky who did this. And... I don't buy it. I, I think maybe they did a few things. Maybe the plants assisted in their own way. But it, I think it's slightly disappointing when it's like, oh, Corky, you guys did great. You guys did really good. You did good. You did great. And it's like, they did They did that? Huh. How did they How did they do that? Just these two? No, I don't buy it. Unfortunately, I don't buy it. Um, however, up until that scene, um, I, think, I think one of the, probably one of the best sort of, sort of scary creepy scenes maybe since um the final sequences of the pilot movie are uh, is the sequence with the lawyer in his house and it starts off with like a rosebush kind of getting in his way and tearing his shirt and ste- stepping up to his mailbox and, and finding out that he's stepping in this huge pile of mud um and then just it goes crazier and crazier and there's something about sort of it, it it's weird because it's a creepy scene and the music is really good in it. And throughout, you, you get these moments where it's almost like the plants are whispering. And it reminds me of sort of like the voices whispering in the TV movie, Don't Be Afraid of the Dark, almost. And you hear the um, the plants seem to be whispering and making noises. And the that, that, that sequence where he's attacking his house is sort of a mix of kind of creepy, what's going to happen next, mixed with kind of an uneasy queasy. Like when he, he pulls a loaf of bread out of the um like well well first off when he cuts his finger while cutting a lemon then he pulls a loaf of bread out of a um you know out of a bread box and it's just pure moldy green and then he opens a cupboard and like potato spiders like kind of drop out and bounce or almost bounce around and it's kind of creepy and queasy and it's it's a really nicely done scene i think it really um handles itself well how two kids were able to arrange all of this i know they're pretty great but I unfortunately I don't really buy that they did this. So, um yeah, I think that's about it for how green was my murder. Um yeah, like, like I said, you don't you don't really feel like the I mean it would have been cool if it was the plants. You don't really feel like it's it's the plants doing it, but then the way they have the chief kind of lurking around makes you think, "Oh, maybe it's some sort of whatever." Um uh maybe he's put a curse on the land. You know, I, I hate to, you know, go there, but that that's that's kind of what it looks like to me and um but and then there are moments where craziness goes on with with leaves and trees and things like that like a tree fall almost falls onto corky and benny at one point just randomly falls over now that's a you know a tree committing suicide in order to try to catch these two guys um and, and i guess i mean is it meant to be that the lawyer is doing that i don't know it doesn't it doesn't it's not explained it's, it's tricky because yeah you get Again, this is why I bring up the chief. You get these moments where it's never, you know, 
it's like when they ask when the lawyer confesses he said i killed dr clark and then i killed his sister he doesn't say and i toppled a tree over on you and i sent all these leaves flying at you and i did this and i did this that seems to be done by something else and it's never explained which is which is fine you know because the plants do come through in the end and and sort of nab the murderer and I think the plants are assisting, like I said, in that final sequence with the lawyer. So let me wrap this up because we got a big thing coming up right now. We are going to go to a uh, double-length, more or less, discussion of Burma's Repeat, episode 39. Teresa, the final episode of Bourbon Street Beat. So, um, so that we'll leave Shadow Chasers here. Uh, next week we'll be going to the ninth. Yeah, the next episode of is Let's Make a Deal. Uh, written by Peggy Goldman, who had written Phantom of the Galleria, and directed by Barbara Peters, who had done Amazing Grace. And that will be the last episode that airs on the network. The last episode that airs on ABC. I was going to say CBS, it's ABC. Um, and then we're going to another realm altogether after that. So let's leave Shadow Chasers and go one more time down to New Orleans. Bourbon Street Beat. Bourbon Street Beat. Starring Richard Long. In New Orleans. Andrew Duggan. This is the blues. With Arlene Howell and Van Williams. Produced by Warner Brothers. Bourbon Street Beat, episode 39, the final episode Teresa directed by William J. Holt Jr. I believe his third in a row teleplay by you got it W. Hermanos story by Whitman Chambers and this episode as I said aired July 4th 1960 wowzers so very very brief um, there is a storm Hurricane Teresa is about to hit New Orleans and uh, basically we, we are on an island uh, with a wealthy like casino owner, late, very familiar looking lady lives, and she's there with a well-known actress and two sort of gangstery goon guys, and um, a young man shows up and tries to um, romance the lady who owns the island, the casino lady, um, but he ends up getting clobbered over the head and locked in a shed as Teresa's approaching. That young man's sister goes to Rex, and says, uh, please help me find my brother. I think he went to this island. We have to get him. And so with the storm approaching, they go to this island and they get caught up in all sorts of intrigue involving these two goons and the actress and the other lady and this sort of manservant that the lady has. I think his name is Maury. I could be making that up. They're, they're basically, they've done something naughty and they're trying to get the heck out of there. But with Teresa approaching, they're, they may or may not be able to. And then Rex and the, the sister show up and things get more complicated. And it's, um, we, we'll talk about it in great detail. But it's, it's as this sort of all this drama and tension builds up, the hurricane is approaching and getting closer and closer and closer. And with that, I'm going to give you a blast of this. Mitchell and I are on the other side. <laughs> Teresa, episode 39 of Bourbon Street Beat. I have Bourbon Street Beat on 10 DVDRs, 
and on the back of each case that has two discs in it, it lists all the episodes uh, that are in there. Generally, uh, eight episodes on on each one. Uh, the the one with not, disc nine and ten is seven. When I first got the set and I was looking at all the titles, I thought I am never going to get to like wagon show, interrupted wedding, reunion, and Teresa. I forget how long we exactly we've been talking about this show, but it's been at least on and off for two years. Yes. Um, yes. And oh gosh, there he is. Mr. Bourbon Street beat himself. Mitchell Hadley. Mitchell, how are you? <laughs> well, how are you, Dan? Doing good. I am um, good. Um, you know what? I think I think I'm going to get wax nostalgia about the show after we talk about this episode. I think that's probably yes. a better idea. So this is Teresa. There's a hurricane. We're going up the Mississippi. Uh, we're on an island. Marie Windsor is back. Um, uh, and um, what did you think of the episode? Well, my first thought as the episode began, you have this opening shot with the title sequence where you've got these clouds and you're kind of flying through the air. And uh, I thought we were watching the high and the mighty or something like that. It uh, it was just like a a travelogue yeah, yeah. or a a movie about about airplanes. But no, it it uh, it, it is about a hurricane, and uh, you think you know where it's headed. Because of that, you think, well, okay, this isn't the high and the mighty. It's going to be something like uh, Key Largo, mm. where you have good guys and bad guys and a hurricane. And, yeah, to a certain extent, it's like that. But it, um, it, it isn't at the same time. There are... There are the surprises. There are a few twists and turns here and characters that um, surprise you along the way. Um, but I have that as one of my notes here. Predictable and kind of a question mark. But it uh, has it has plenty of really cool file footage of hurricanes. Mm. So if you want to see lots of wind and, and water and trees be being blown over and houses being ripped apart, you're going to like this because it, it uh, has a lot of that. Although I will say that by the end of the episode, I was really tired of the wind sound effect that they were using though. <laughs> that was, uh, because it was kind of it was kind of on a um, perpetual loop mm -hmm. and so every 10 or 20 seconds you'd hear these same little quirks about the uh the volume of the wind going up or down so i did get kind of tired of that <laughs> after a while but it 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 all in all though it serves as a very effective um soundtrack really so it's it is um it's an interesting episode it um it does again does this have the new orleans feel to it well i mentioned key largo and this could be any place where you have hurricanes mm -hmm. now we know unfortunately from the last 20 years or so that new orleans has hurricanes and they have floods and it is a mess but it isn't to me at least it isn't readily apparent that um that that this is louisiana uh it could be any place along the gulf and um i have to say though that 
since this is 1960, I'm really impressed with the technology because they have this little transistor radio. And the transistor radio is perfectly picking up in the middle of a hurricane mm-hmm. a what is undoubtedly an AM radio station mm-hmm. in New Orleans at the very moment that the city itself is being pummeled by this killer storm and yet the station is staying on the air the um radio is continuing to pick it up there's no static there's no threat that uh, you're going to lose the station i was impressed (laughs) i have to tell you that uh, i did not realize just what a miracle the modern transistor (laughs) was until i saw the way it pulled through in this story so (laughs) <laughs> but uh, it's um you know you've got an interesting collection of characters mm-hmm. you've got the uh you've got a sister with the heart of gold who is looking after her wayward little brother you've got you've got the alluring older woman who suckers said little brother into uh into this scheme you've got two heavies who are suitably smarmy uh you've got a mysterious butler or whatever he may be and you've got this um movie star uh, you you have all these characters and then oh yeah by the way there's a movie star in it too yeah and you think to yourself, oh, geez, you know, this this should be Cal's episode. It's Rex's, but uh, it should be Cal's with the movie star. And the, the speaking of the movie star is married to one of the two hoods, although it's sometimes a little difficult to read how these relationships work. Mm-hmm. And the hood, one of the hoods, is involved with the uh, with the older woman, and the movie star is evidently a lush. And um, so you have all of these different dynamics at work that um, and this is where it starts to differ from a show like uh, from a movie like Key Largo, I think, because what you've got is a a criminal element, if you will, that's not that cohesive to begin with. Mm -hmm. There is a lot of friction there. There is uh, if Rex is looking to try to to. uh, get a wedge in between them. Uh, he isn't going to have to work that hard at this. Uh, I do have to admire his wherewithal that he wants to take this reasonably small boat mm. with th- his new client and sail into the middle of a hurricane uh, on on the, the hopes that her brother is going to be there. I'm not sure that that's something that I would uh, have taken on myself. But Mm -hmm. as we have pointed out, even recently, uh, he is nothing if not gallant. So, um, and besides, the bills have to get paid. Uh Uh So there we are. That's the, that's the whole setting for this. And, and there are some, some other twists. There are a couple of things that happen and I don't know that we want to get into them, but there's, there's one development that happens. And my wife says, I didn't see that coming. Mm. And, uh, there are a couple of characters who kind of surprise you a bit in the way that they react to things. Mm -hmm. And then, um, there is a, uh, the, the, the hurricane, ends very abruptly. Uh, I've never seen a hurricane end 
just like that. Um, but but uh, I can understand you've only got so much time to spend on hurricanes. Mm-hmm. So it is um, it's an interesting episode. It is again not Bourbon Street Beat at its best, but it's certainly Bourbon Street Beat enjoyable mm-hmm. and. We'll talk about the end of the episode here yes, shortly, yes, but yeah. that, Natural and I'm end, not talking yeah. about the end of the story and the end, not the end of the plot, but the end of the episode. Cool. Um, thank you. Uh, it's it's weird because this really, to me, is one, and and I'm not I'm not saying I think it stinks up the joint like this one, but this is one like the boys' reformatory one where I can sit there and kind of look at it and go. Okay, you can really see how they shoehorned Rex big time into this one. I think first yep. off, first off, the the episode I have, the disc I have, the episode is forty eight minutes. They don't make it to the island until like nineteen or twenty minutes in, and they don't. And it's not that they don't make it to the island because they're doing detective work. No, they're traveling to the island. That's why it's taking. That's why it takes them so long to get there. It's like one of those. If you, if you've ever watched Doctor Who, one of those mid '80s episodes with the Sixth Doctor and Perry, where they spend much <laughs> of the first episode arguing in the TARDIS while other things happen, and then they kind of arrive like halfway through the episode. These are the 45 minute episodes, yep. like halfway through the episode or something like that. You know, and that happens sometimes in Doctor. Yeah. It, it, well, not. Well, I don't want to talk about Doctor Who forever, but I could. Um, but. Um, you know, it's it's just one of those things where um, <laughs> they're they're they really are in, in Teresa. They really are setting up this world, and then they drop Rex, this gal, and the hurricane into it to sort of disrupt it. Um, and if you look at it that way, it's a lot of fun. Look at almost look at it like um uh, like a variation on a slasher film. Like uh, one of my favorites is I, and I've probably mentioned this four thousand times. And Amanda, if you're listening, I apologize. Final Exam, the first hour of Final Exam from 1981 is set at a college, like the last night before the last day of finals. I think right before winter break, and you spend the first hour of the movie meeting like eight, nine, ten people. And if you watch the movie with an open mind, you know, and not sitting there going, how come someone isn't dying every six, seven and a half minutes? It's it's a good drama. <laughs> and then in the last half hour, right when you get to like, you know, this person's about to have this happen. This person's about to go there. These guys are about to do this. Da, da, da. Suddenly someone just appears out of nowhere and starts killing them. And there's something very... Um, you know that's what a hurricane does. You know you're you're up to your own business, and suddenly you're this violent, dangerous, and unpredictable thing appears and just changes everything and levels everything. And 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 in this one, it's I said it's accompanied by Rex arriving on the island, and um, it's 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 strange because I could sort of see in my mind that like the because the, the guy who who's on the story for this Whitman Chambers wrote a lot of like screenplays for noiry and um, sort of low budget B movie type things some of which look like a lot of fun um, and you you could sort of see when you watch that this would have been at first my thought that this would have been like some sort of playhouse anthology kind of thing maybe. Um, that is just about a bunch of yep. people. It's in my mind. It begins with and just give me a moment here. This is a semi tangent because this isn't Bourbon Street Beat. But in my mind, the whole thing begins with like you maybe like you see. I thought they were in the Everglades for a second. You see the the river and um, you see the small boat going down the river and it's got the guy in it. Br- Brad, I think the uh, the brother 
um, and and kind of like you just you just see maybe like some of the trees are blowing around, it looks a little windy, and you kind of like hear like in the distance, and uh, Hurricane Teresa is approaching, you know, like a radio, and and gradually we pull in on the um yes on the boat, and we see him on the boat, and maybe he has his like one hand on the wheel and another hand on like an envelope which has the money that he owes um, Marie Windsor's character from from gambling. And you hear on the radio, you know, you hear, um, you hear some about Teresa. Then you hear some local news. Then you hear about these two gangsters who committed this crime in Dallas. And isn't it weird? This show is not set in Dallas, but this is the third episode in a row where Dallas has come up. Kenny, they talk about Kenny being from it's Dallas. In the previous episode, Kenny's from Dallas, and then in interrupted wedding, the the. Uh, the, the the guy who, who who the guy who the guy the father of the bride and the bride are from Dallas, and the detective BJ she's from Dallas. So it's weird. Three episodes in a row, all directed by William Hole Jr. Uh, is it William or Charles? It's William, right? William, I believe. Uh, Mr. Hole. Yeah, I call I think him. so. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And um uh and all mention Dallas, and I don't know why. But so so you you see this boat, and you hear this stuff, and then right as you start to hear about these gangsters stealing all this money, and they've gone missing, and um along with this actress, you know, you get. I'm sorry, Steve. I have to butt in. It looks like Hurricane Teresa is changing direction or something like that. So as you're, you're getting all this exposition, as this boat pulls into this dock, and you see him go up the side of this sort of hill which actually isn't that high up they said it's only like 10 feet above sea level so it's not that high up but it looks like it's really high up from some of the the way they they move around but they kind of go up and you see this house and then he goes around the house and he sees uh, Marie Windsor's character and then he gets knocked unconscious and put in the shed and as he's in the shed um, trying to figure out what's going on you get all this drama with the people in this house and the steady escalating drama between these these four five people and it gets bigger and bigger and in, in the original you know no Rex shows up no sister shows up it's just the hurricane gets bigger and bigger and things get uh, more heightened and eventually maybe Brad or whoever breaks out of the shed and he he in brings another element into it and it gets to the point where the hurricane has hit the house and the house is being torn apart and people are arguing and fighting and shooting each other and crazy and then they all end up on top of a hill as the hurricane passes over and some are dead some are forgiven some uh, found redemption you know this that and the other things some are getting arrested and it's this big epic um drama with maybe some overripe dialogue. I actually like that a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that to, to, in my uh-huh. mind, that's, that's the that's the way it would that's the way it would sort of play out. And there's no Rex character to show up, and you know, um, uh, I don't want to say get in the way, but but in this, Rex is very much like the Hurricane. He's this force that when he shows up, he and the sister begin to sort of change a, a bit things of what's going on. But without him in it, I guess in my mind, it would sort of be the. Um, the uh, the um, the guy Brad who gets locked up in the shed and who likes this gal and is wondering who hit him and what's going on and yeah I, just, I mean you could see it can't you I mean like the you know the, there are moments where you know you you get the yeah. like, like in this you get the moment where Marie, Marie Windsor's character is standing on the edge of the island and the wind is blowing at her and you can see she's really like. Her, all her senses are heightened. She's almost turned off, turned on, uh, turned off, turned on, turned on. Sorry. Oh, she got turned off. She got turned on by like the wind blowing <laughs> around her. And you get Joe, the sleazy husband of the the um, the the actress, trying to you know hitting on her. And I mean, I I tell you, I'm sure Joe is a great guy, but his thing about you're like all women, violent, dangerous, and unpredictable. 
but you're the gangster man you're the you're the gangster doesn't don't you have at least two or three of those um and so so to me that's what the original is i don't know that that's what it is but it's set on a small island during a hurricane the island is being torn apart and these relationships are being torn apart as it goes i'm not saying it's tennessee williams the dialogue doesn't seem that good as good as that but i in my mind that's what it is unfortunately i had to shoehorn rex in and that leads to some weird moments like the you know you know we always think to ourselves well i always think to myself you know like what what bits might W. Hermanos have written? The actual whoever that person was, yes, you know, or was it just a case of rearranging lines to fit different voices, as it were? I but but there is a scene in this, and it's near the end. But I'll give it away. There is a scene in this that I don't think was written by anyone. I just think they put the camera in some hallways and had people walk around with guns. Because there's a scene in this where. Um, so Barbara, the the lush, um, uh, they they sneak Rex and the sisters mm-hmm. sneak, sneak into her bedroom as the hurricane is building. Um, they've been put out of the house, and there's that weird moment too where the Maury, the uh, Maury, the um, uh, uh, handyman, man about town guy, uh, you know, not my man, not man about town, valet, valet, uh, butler kind of guy, um, where he he yeah he, he there's a really weird moment where. Um, uh, you you got to make them go back to the boat, Rex and the gal. You got to make them go back to the boat. Okay, you know I'll take care of it. So what does he do? He pulls a gun on them and says, "Go back to the boat." I thought, really? Did did yeah. you just hear the conversation where like she's the sister of the one of the wealthiest men in New Orleans, and he's one of the most respected private detectives, and you're gonna send him <laughs> out with down to the boat? It doesn't. It to me that's maybe W. Hermana slipping up a little, but it's the scene where um, Barbara drunk goes rushing to her her brother her, her sorry sorry her husband um and the other gangster mark <laughs> and is like is like there's a man in the room and, and they realize that that rex and the sister have have come back in missy i think i believe her name is missy so rex and so so you see rex I, and missy yeah. rex and missy step out of this bedroom and what are we going to do? Well, we got to keep away from him as long as possible. And there's just this weird, like, five-minute sequence. Maybe it's not that long. Where, like, you, ha- you have no concept of the scale of the house. You have no concept of where anything else is in relation to other people. So you just see, like, you'll see a random hallway. And then Rex and Missy will walk through it, you know, going to the left. And then you'll see another random hallway. And Joe and Mark will walk down it, going to the right. And then the two of them will split up. And then we're in another random, and then we're in a random room. And it's like, where is anybody? I mean, and in relation to anybody else. I mean, how big is this house? And it's such a weird, because to me, watching that scene, I thought, no one wrote this. They needed an extra four minutes. And they were like, just have them wander through the hallways, and we'll figure out something. And they don't. It's such a weird scene, because it's not suspenseful. Because you have no, I mean, anyone could walk around the corner and run into anyone because you don't know where anyone is in relation to anyone else. And it's such yeah. a weird, it's such a weird scene that kind of like <laughs> the, the, the episode, as silly as some of Joe's dialogue gets, and as long as it takes Rex to get there, the, the slow buildup of the hurricane and the tension keeps it watchable. But during that scene, I just sat there watching, watching, going, wow, it's like, <sighs> It's like, did everyone leave the room and just turn the camera? We're going to turn a camera on here. We're going to turn a camera on here. You guys just walk back and forth in front of the cameras for five minutes. We'll fix it in post. And that's what it looks like to me. We, we don't know what's... And it's it's just such a weird sequence. And to me, that's the ultimate W. Hermanos 
scene in some ways in that you just sit there going, I don't know why this is here. But W. Hermanos wanted it to be, I think, unless that was the one scene Hermanos didn't write. For, and for all I know, having said that for the past two minutes, maybe that's like, <laughs> maybe if I were to find that movie and you went on like IMDb or, some, or Wikipedia, critics say the sneaking around the house scene is in some of the five most suspenseful moments in cinema or something like that. I don't know. But to me, it's just so goofy because it's just, it's just <laughs> now we're walking to the left. Now they're walking to the right. Now we're go- where are we? Who knows? Who knows? So mm-hmm. I so, think that's very valid. And and the, the the one other thing that you can tell, I think I think that is not ruined, but kind of wrecked. I guess you say wrecked. It's during a hurricane. Wrecked because of Rex's arriving is that theme of you women. You're vi- I won't talk like this for much longer. You're violent. You're dangerous and unpredictable. And later, <laughs> when, when Joe is talking to Mara, Marie Windsor's character, he's like, you've got a violent nature, just like Barbara. And then he mentions it again, you know, and then it's like, um, you know, the, the hurricane is violent, too. And why are all hurricanes named after women? And I'm like, okay, I got it. Women are like hurricanes. They're violent. They're unpredictable. They're dangerous. But since the guy who keeps bringing that up is a violent and dangerous gangster. I think the message in the end would have been, we're all sort of like hurricanes in one way or another, violent, dangerous, and unpredictable, and that's why they all sort of tear apart one another in the end of the original, which I just made up a few minutes ago. So to me, that's the theme that goes through it. It starts off very basic. It's the hurricane, then it's women, then it's everyone. The problem with the episode is that it brings up these themes and then I think apart from one brief mention after Rex arrives, they all drop once Rex arrives. Once Rex arrives, it becomes like a sneaking around the house, and here comes, and all the sort of setup of the characters kind of, not all of it, Barbara gets more to do in the second half, but like, Mark almost does nothing in the second half, and Joe is sure, is sleazy, yep. sure, in the second half, but Joe in the first half of this kind of, is this kind of gross not quite force of nature, but like every time he shows up, you know he's going to say some dialogue that is going to make you cringe. In the second half, he doesn't really have that. So it's, mm-hmm. so it's, almost, so it's almost, it's it's weird, yeah, because like, like the moment Rex shows up, and they're like, okay, now we have to start tearing pages out of the original script. They lost what to me seems to be a theme in in in, in the script, um, which is which is weird because you don't normally get that in something like this, where it's to me it was pretty pronounced. That that this was the theme, but then it just goes about. But twenty five minutes in, it's gone. The the theme is gone, and now it's about um, finding that annoying guy and getting out of the hurricane. Not that that's bad or good. It's just something I noticed. So uh, what what else do you have about this one, Mitchell? Well, I think I think you've summed it up rather well, actually. I like your idea, your story quite a lot because I think what you've done is flesh out the potential that this had um, for being other than a bourbon street beat story. And um, I think that, um, you know, Rex, Rex takes care of everything like you expect that he will. But um, you're right that it, uh, that he is kind of shoehorned into the whole thing and it doesn't develop organically and a lot of these neat ideas that they have at the beginning just don't get fulfilled now having said all that 
I didn't hate it. You didn't either, I don't no, think. No, no. I think that um, you're right that it is in the lower tier of these episodes, but I don't think that there has been one in this season that I would say that I have hated and, or even not liked. It's a degree of how much did I like them, mm-hmm. but there aren't any that I'd say that I haven't liked, and that... You, you know, I've been watching um, Canon. We were just talking oh, about yeah, yeah, uh, William yeah. Conrad, uh, and and um, there was an episode last night that uh, I won't go into details because we're not reviewing Canon. But it was it was the fourth or fifth time this type of story had played out in four seasons and it was just like i don't want to watch this anymore and so i did something that we very rarely do when we're watching a complete set of a series i skipped the episode i just couldn't watch it and uh and uh, because I didn't want to go through this same storyline with the corrupt cops and the suspicious mm. small town and the outsider oh, and making a scapegoat out of somebody. <laughs> <Yes>. I've, <laughs> yeah, I, I, Tom Skeert's the bad guy because oh. he's Tom Skeert. Yes, and yes. It, it's just, no, no, I don't want to watch this one anymore. Yeah. I've seen this too many times. And I've never had that with any of the Bourbon Street beat. I, th- I think they have been. Um, I mean, the, the the closest I get to, like I said, the closest I got to one that it, it annoyed me was the boys' reformatory one. I didn't turn it off. I was interested to see where it was going, and when it got there, I thought, really? But mm-hmm. I didn't. You know, I I still, you know, for thirty nine episodes to have one that I was like, yeah, on, and the rest I would say, yeah, watch them. You know, some some are going to just 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 are going to be wonderful. Some are just going to, some are a joy. And we're, we're actually starting our summary of it. I guess let's wrap up Teresa, and then we'll we'll do a summary of how about that. I don't mean to interrupt our summary, folks. But Yes. Uh, yeah, so, so uh, Mitchell, before we get blown away, any last uh, things on Teresa? Well, I think that, uh, I think that I'd go right to the end of the yes, episode. Um, not, as I said, not the end of the story. Mm-hmm. Everything works out okay, but the 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 end of the episode, and I don't know if they were aware that this was going to be the final episode of the series or not. It's possible, um, but I don't know. And at any rate, it wasn't customary to do a final episode of uh, a television series back in 1960. But if this was not intentional it should have been because it is a wonderful ending um cal um rex is in the um at dinner in the restaurant with uh the sister and they're with having the, the, a the uh, they're not with the sister with the with the movie Barbara, star yes, yes who and this barbara and this whole thing sobered her up well, so he and Barbara are having dinner, and Cal and uh, Kenny come in. And first of all, Cal is agog because this movie star, you know, I've seen all your pictures. And this is a really nice callback to the 
um, to to the part of Cal's character that they established from the outset and always stuck with was his love of the movies and all of the pictures that he has in his office. So here at the very end, Cal gets to meet a star, and uh, it's it's a wonderful touch. And then Kenny adds that Melody and I saw all your movies or that mm. melody and i saw one of these movies several times mm -hmm. and for melody who's been off the show now for quite some time it's another callback it brings everybody back together at the end you have all three of the remaining regulars and a mention of the fourth and you have cal going back to movie stars kenny going back uh to melody and it it just wraps things up very nicely and each one of them offers to take her back to yes. um to the uh, to whether hotel or the airport or something like that and she goes with kenny and it's kind of like the capper to the whole thing that we've talked about how Kenny is growing up and now he gets the, uh, the girl at the end. And, um, there was just something immensely satisfying about this. As I say, it was, it, whether they knew it or not, the idea of mentioning all of these things and bringing it all back to a uh, ground zero is just a terrific touch and um i enjoyed that a lot yeah it was it was really the moment you see kenny and cal walking in it's like oh that's nice and it's it's one of those scenes that it's not a long scene it's it's a minute minute and a half uh, maybe but it just happens and it's sweet and when it ends you're like oh no nah, i enjoyed that that was that was nice and uh yes they, they make a reference at the end to the wind blowing and uh it was funny because um what is it uh um uh, Kels is like, well, that's the way the wind blows. And Rex is like, yeah, that's the way the wind blows or something like that. And for, and I know they were referring to the fact that there was just a huge <laughs> hurricane there. But, but part of me was like, I wonder if I go back to like the first or second episode, might there be somewhere in there where they mention like, that's the way the wind or something like that? I, I wonder. So I almost went back to the beginning. But I don't like to. I don't like to do that so soon after seeing the end because then that colors the way you sort of see the end if you watch the beginning immediately after it. So I so I didn't do mm. that. But no, you're you're right. It is it is just a lovely closing minute, and I'm glad. I it it it's weird. I'm glad. Obviously, they chose the actress. That was the right choice um, to, of the, of the characters in the mm -hmm. house. Uh, but at the same time, it was sort of like the actress. Like for the first half of the episode, she didn't do anything. So it's almost a strange choice to like no. pick pick like a um, almost a tertiary character in the house. But hey, you know she's she's I guess the one that got I don't know how she got out unscathed. It wasn't like she wasn't like helping out her gangster husband or anything. Maybe she was a she's a movie star and they just let her go. I don't know. Well, and that's the thing, you know, I was still kind of reeling from the wind when I started talking about this, but my natural instinct was to head for the sister because she was a much more prominent yes. character vis-a-vis -vis Rex. Mm -hmm. And so, um, it, it, at the, at the risk of reading too much into this, it was almost as if they went out of their way to make sure that it, it was a, the movie star so mm -hmm. that you could get that yes. tie in with Cal and the indirect one with Kenny and Melody. 
Yes. Very interesting, but yeah. I, um, as I say, I really liked the ending. Yeah, it's, it's I was really... sad to see it come, but that was very satisfying. And yes. th- though this was not Bourbon Street Beat at its best, I can guarantee that if you've just watched all 39 episodes, you're not going to remember the first 58 or 59 minutes of this one. You're going to remember the ending the of it, ending. and you're going to smile. Yes, yeah. Yeah, I'm trying, and I I can't come up with one now, but I'm trying to think of an end of a series or an end of a show that kind of does that same sort of thing. And I know there's there are some, but I can't think of any right at this moment. I'm yeah, I, I, you know, we'd like you watch the last episode. It's like, hey, that was pretty good, but then something happens right at the end. We're like, oh, come on, yeah. Um, we'll yeah, think, we'll think of it later, folks. Far too late for us to talk about it. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, we'll think about it. And then we'll think of you. No, um, we will think of you. Um, so I, I, I just, I just will say that the last things I wanted to mention was that um, the Joe character is really, um, is really um, over, slightly overwrought in some of his. Like I mentioned, the violent, dangerous, unpredictable, and um, uh, uh, the the scene where um, Mara is standing there and the wind's blowing all around her, and she's saying how it makes her feel, and. He says, yeah, I can tell that from the way you look. And the way you look, I like. It's like, oh, my God. You Can, can you feel my eyes rolling from 60 years of the future, however, you know, 50 years of the future? Um, 60 years. Um, uh, and then there is there is one more thing, and then we'll wrap up. Um, yeah, Ter- what, what, what Mitchell said about Teresa, it, it certainly is not um, a great episode of Bourbon Street Beat. But it is an entertaining episode, and boy, they turn on that wind machine in like the last ten minutes. Oh my goodness! Mm-hmm. Like when they're in the room with the with the pool behind them, the, everything is blowing like crazy. And when they go out to the top of the 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 hill, it's just like they all look like they're going to get blown away. I mean, it's really they they go all for it. Maybe they were trying to do that. I don't know. End of the series. Who cares? Um, uh, but there, yeah. there, there there is one thing I want to mention that that. I watched this episode twice, and I've just had it playing here a third time. And every time I see it, I I, I don't know if what I'm seeing is what I'm seeing, but it, I feel like it. So so um, rear screen projection is fun. And so what rear screen projection does is if you're moving, the, the rear screen projection has to be going. You know, if I'm walking down a city street and going to the left of the screen, the street and the rear screen should be going to the right. So it looks like I'm walking forward. Um, if I'm... Um, going uh, downstream, you know, uh, and uh, say, um, I'm trying to think of the best way to describe this. Like, like say, the camera is behind the captain and the wheel, and, uh, you know, and the, the captain is facing away from us, looking towards the um, the front of the boat where they're going, you know, sort of, like, if, if the camera is kind of on the, say, the to slightly to the left of the captain, you should see, say, like the shore on the right going by, sort of passing alongside yes. the boat. And if, if the, as in this, if they are standing and on the boat that, 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 that Rex and, and um, uh, Missy are on, the, the wheel is like, they're facing to the left. So the boat is going sort of to the left on the screen so behind them the rear screen projection you see is like forest and woods going to the right right like right alongside except in the very first scene on the boat where they have the wrong direction rear screen projection going and if 
the rear because the, the rear screen projection in that first scene. I don't know. Did you notice this, Mitchell? And it could be being crazy. No, I I um, I'm interested. What? So it's it's the very first scene because I think there are three scenes in the boat, and in the first scene, watch the rear screen projection because the rear screen projection is going by as if they were traveling sort of upstream, and they were like facing the front of the boat. Hmm. And it's it's passing by on their right rather than sort of in front of them going to the right. So it looks like even though they're facing gotcha. to the, even though they're facing to the left and they should be going to the left from the rear screen projection, it looks like they're going sideways down the river. And it's really distracting once huh. you notice it. If I'm if I'm noticing it correctly. So I would say anyone who's got an episode, and I know one man who does have an episode of this, copy of this, um, go watch the first scene with them in the boat. I think they've got the rear screen projection wrong, which is um, you is very, to do that, yeah. Is it's it is very distracting because you spend the whole time thinking, are they, all I all I can do is I close my eyes and I'm seeing an overhead shot of the the water flowing downstream, and all of a sudden this large boat just going sideways. Down, down the thing, and how is it doing that? I have no idea, but that's what it seems to be doing. So I'm going to stop there and just, <laughs> folks, if you have Teresa, it's the first of the, you'll know it when you see it because it will be, because I've never really seen that. I mean, like, you know, a show like, say, Police Squad, you know, will fiddle around with rear screen projection and do goofy things, with, or Airplane. Yes. Uh-huh. The, the, the scene in Airplane where the guy's drugged or drunk or whatever, and he's driving home, and the, and the um, rear screen projection is going absolutely nuts behind him. Um, and then eventually becomes the Three Stooges, if I remember correctly. Um, that that you know that that's on purpose and is meant to be disorientating. This is just like you watch it going, what's happening? Wow, this is a bad hurricane because they're trying to go to the left, but it's blowing them upstream sideways. That's that's my explanation for it. That's my explanation for it. And that oh dear, is, oh dear. So that is Teresa. And that is the final episode of Burbis Rebeat. Now, Mitchell, let, let's wrap this up before the wind picks up again. But let's just spend a couple minutes. I, <laughs> I, I, I think I think we I think we both enjoyed the show. But any any final thoughts on it before we? I mean, we've been yes. talking about the show um, for um, we've been t- we basically do four episodes uh, sit down, and we've had ten chats over the course of about two years. Every like two and a half months or so, two and a half, three months, mm-hmm. we get together and we, 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 we spend an evening chatting about it. So this has been a long time getting to this point, and I'm going to cry when I get off this Skype call with Mitchell. I don't mind telling you. But Mitchell, what um, final thoughts <laughs> on yeah. BSB? Well, I, first of all, I want to thank you for having invited me on uh, on the show. I was um, I was flattered and honored when you asked if I'd be interested in doing this. And um, although I had been watching Seventy Seven Sunset Strip and I knew about Bourbon Street Beat, um, this was the first time I had had a chance to watch it, and I have enjoyed it thoroughly. And I am very grateful to you for the not only for the opportunity to be on the show, but to be able to uh, get to know um, such an enjoyable series. So thank you for that. And um, as for the series, you know, it is it is typical. Warner Brothers of the era. The the episodes are heavy on personality. If you're looking for for the kind of mystery that you might have seen on PBS in the 80s and 90s, you're not going to find it here. But you're going to find something that is fun 
that's enjoyable with immensely likable characters that, um, unlike some shows, you are, um, you're not going to get tired of them. You're going to, I think you're going to wish that you, um, knew them. Mm-hmm. And, um, a kind of kind of a coda to this because I had alluded to this at the end of our last episode. The the the, the three main characters because we never do find out what happens to Melody, but Rex goes off to seventy seven Sunset Strip where he's on for two years. Kenny goes off to Surfside Six where he uh, works with Troy Donahue and he's presumably one of the partners. Cal, you you mentioned that Cal is the only one that doesn't get in another series, and you are correct. But there is one episode of Sunset Strip where he makes an appearance. Mm. Andrew Dugan has been in the series, but now he makes an appearance as Cal. And it turns out that Cal got out of the PI business and went back to the police. Oh, wow. And he thanks... He thanks the guys at 77 Sunset Strip for having taken in his old partner. So a a possible theory is that Rex went there, He that he he closed up shop when Cal went back to being a policeman Mm -hmm. and um, uh, closed up shop and moved to uh, Los Angeles. But whatever it is, it... um, if uh, if you've been following along with us, uh, you out there at home, I hope you've enjoyed it as much yes. as we have. Yeah. If you haven't, but if you're interested in this, I hope you get a chance to check it out because I think you will like it a lot. I uh, I I think I'll just I'll just reiterate how how I I started and that was uh, I, I knew of the shows and then Warner Archive Instant had 77 Sunset Strip at random episodes of uh, Strip Hawaiian Eye and uh, I can call it Strip I can just take it down to that because you know I I've talked about Bourbon Street Beats I can call <laughs> Bourbon Street Beat BSB I don't have shortening uh, shortening I don't I'm have sorry. shortened titles for Hawaiian Eye and Surfside Six yet. But they had uh, all three, uh, all all the shows except Bourbon Street Beat on there, and and this was back in. Forgive me, this would have been like March of two thousand six fifteen, I think, when they put those up there. And I saw quite a few of them and enjoyed. That them. sounds about right. I, I want to say that's because they kind of just showed up one day. Um, I miss more archive instant because they would randomly have up these shows TV. That's why I discovered yeah. Search, which I will talk about one day. And hey, Michelle, I'm not sure if you're a Search fan, but maybe if you want to do another show, I'm up for Search. Uh, if you say hey, Search, count me in. Oh, oh, there you go. I, 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 I have not seen it since the beginning, so I remember nothing of it. Okay, oh, it's it's a joy, it's a joy, and um and sort of like this uh Hawaiian uh Hawaiian I uh beat by the end it it it's 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 like <laughs> one um one of the agents at a time so you know you get your um uh Hugh O'Brien your Tony Franciosa or your Doug McClure being the star uh, with Burgess Meredith being the anchor which is which is the way it should be but uh, I, I might take you up on that search I might take you up on that um hey. uh and we'd have to I'm start there. With- We'd have to start with Probe, though, the uh, TV movie, which is a lot of fun. But um, uh, So I'm writing that down. Search in my big notebook, my big eventually super train notebook. All right. It has a train on the cover. Why do you ask? <laughs> um, and uh, so, so I watched those, and um, when I started eventually super train um, in July of 2016, 
um, you know, you're looking for all sorts of shows, and I wanted shows that cover decades, um, you know, not just like 70s, 80s, over and over again. And somewhere in there, I, I was like, oh, Purpose Street Beat. That was only on one season. That counts. And I was able to find the episodes. And I knew you were a fan of. I, I think I think I knew you were a fan of Seventy Seven Sunset Strip. I feel like I heard you say that. I had mentioned point. it. So mm-hmm. yes. And so I thought, let's do this. And we did this. And um, and I honestly, when I started, I because the 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 shows on Warner Archives that were just best ofs. So they were random episodes, although I don't know what they were picking for Surfside Six, but um, they were best ofs, and and um, and so I, I, I thought I don't know how I'm going to do with 39 episodes of this, but I have really enjoyed it. I've enjoyed sitting down every couple yes. months and just taking a week and absorbing. Usually, I would watch one episode a night over four nights, and then over the course of like the next two days leading up to the recording, I'd watch them again. Um, sort of off to one side just to take final notes. And um, I've had a great time. I'm going to miss them. So I need to go to 77 Sunset Strip and back to Surfside 6 to um, to, to see them again. But it's, uh, as you said, you know, it's not, um, you know, it's not, uh, it's it's not Sherlock Holmes. It's not Nero Wolf-style detectiving. It's, um, it's just, it's fun. It's a fun show with these strong lead characters, and at its best, it's it's not only the lead characters that are strong, but it's the location and the vibe of it. Which I mean, remember the Mardi Gras episode? Didn't yeah. we have two Mardi Gras episodes? Didn't Mardi Gras oh, happen yeah. twice? We did. We did yes. have two. Yes. And mm-hmm. and, and it just that's so much fun because how did that happen? How did it happen twice? Because that's what happens in New Orleans. You have Mardi Gras. Who cares if it's only <laughs> once? It's like Carnival. You know, it's like carnival. You, you you go down there. It's always carnival. You know, in, in real. You know, it's always carnival, and because that's what happens, and um, and it's it was so much fun to watch. And I, in 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 one respect, this is one of those shows again that I would have loved to have seen gone on for ages. However, the yep. thirty the thirty nine episodes we have are generally so above average that I. I, 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 I don't I do because everyone would have loved the show to go on. Who was making it would have loved the show to go on. So I don't. But it's it's like when we my wife and I watch Elry Queen, you know, or even even say Police Squad. Although that was just six episodes, do do we want more? Oh sure. But boy, that that season of Elry Queen is so good. Uh, having a second one where the quality it is may a have, lot of fun. Yeah, this if if this having a second one where the quality may have dropped up dropped off isn't as. I'm, I'd like more Burbage Street Beat, definitely. I'd love the gang. I'd love to see Melody come back. I'd love to see them do more proper episodes of the show, rather than thank you, W. Hermanos, for leading us out on the last eight or nine episodes. And William Hull Jr. for directing the last three. He may have directed more than that. I forget if he directed yes. a Wagon Show and beyond. Um, but yeah, I would have loved to have seen more. But boy, I am so glad that we have the 39 episodes. And looking so good, too. Looking really nice. So yeah, that was know, a real bonus. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, it's always sad when we leave a show behind. The joy with Burbs Street Beat is that there are so many episodes. It is sad, and it's been a hell of a journey. Um, but it there's a it lot does. of it, folks. A lot of it. And I would recommend if you can find yourselves copies, watch it. You know, it, it may not be your cup of tea, but you might really get into it. And and you know, I'm I'm trying to think back if I have a favorite episode. Do you? Can you think of a favorite? I'm, hmm. um, I mean, the first Ooh, episode is pretty great. Not, yeah. not, uh, yeah. 
I would say that in amongst those first 10, 15 episodes, there are some, uh, some really fun ones that are particularly good ones. Um, probably perhaps one with one of the swamp, uh, yeah, the swamps swampy, or yeah. the old gothic, uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, quicksand. Yes. Oh, sweet quicksand. Uh, and there's the one with, um, the, <laughs> where, the, where, where they're going to assassinate the, um, the uh, the guy, which is which is more like a chamber drama, where they're going to assassinate the guy who's in, who's doing the politician who's across the way from the absinthe house, and they're in yes. the um, uh-huh. uh, that that's a very good one, um, and yeah, there's just just the um, yeah, there are a lot of good ones, folks. I'm thinking I'm thinking there back was, there. Remember, uh, what, woman in the river with Mary Tyler Moore. Yes. Oh yeah. That was a great, and that yeah, that that one, um, that one in the swamp with that um, jerk with remember that swamp mobile or whatever that was, or it was like he's yes. the only he's the yes. only one that can get us in here. But that that I, I, I guess when you go in the really mucky patches, it's tough to walk through. But you could run around that in circles around that thing at the speed it was going. But I guess you get you know you, we all got our thing. We all got our thing. So um. Ah. <laughs> Yeah, and then there was the first what the first one with Kenny. Um, remember, like the um, with the masquerade party where someone gets killed. The first one where Kenny gets the yep. lead. Yeah, and that was a surprise. I remember mm-hmm. that being kind of fun yep. to see Kenny, Kenny get the lead. Yeah, uh, Kenny Junior Detective. Yes, uh, and that is some good stunts in it, if I remember correctly too. Some good leaping around on things. But uh, yeah, yes, yeah. Uh, this, this balconies and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so I guess, I guess, uh, I guess, so both of us, uh, I think, give the show two big thumbs up to uh, rip off uh, Mr. Siskel and Mr. Ebert. Yes. And um, recommend, <laughs> recommend the show highly if you can find it. And if you, if you want to watch it in tandem with 77 Sunset Strip and Hawaiian Eye um, during that season of television, why not? That sounds like fun to me. Oh. You know, you get a lot of great It does. There are going to be crossovers a plenty. Mm-hmm. So that is, I hate to say it, but that is the end of Bourbon Street Beat. Thank you so much, Mitchell, for joining me. It's been it's been a long trip. Thank you, Dan. Yeah, it's been a long trip, and and I was going to say when W. Hermano showed up, it became a bit of a long, strange trip, but in the in the best way. I think who knew that was going to happen? Who knew that was yes. going to? I had no idea that that was going to happen, which That's is right. great. Which is great. So, um, uh, and we we learned a bit of history too as we went along um and so i guess one final time mitchell where can we find you online and what are you up to um you can find my um classic tv website it's about tv.com uh where i talk about classic classic tv in american culture and um you can check out uh i've published three books i have two novels one called um the car which is um all about search for identity and i've written the collaborator which is a, a novel of vatican intrigue and then the electronic mirror essays on classic tv and how it explains american culture excellent and i i i have the electronic mirror and it's fantastic you should pick it up today recommended by dan thank you uh, so um <laughs> I, I guess um, I was I was trying to think of something witty to say, but I, I can just uh, feel like this uh, this journey is, is at an end. I think um, I don't think we're going to ever on this show do a show with this many episodes. 
um, that I can that I can think of um, a one season show that has more than thirty nine episodes. I'm sure there are some, probably very early on, like um, you know what nineteen forty eight, forty nine, fifty one, fifty two, or something. There's probably one that had over forty. Um, good luck me finding all of them. And there there is one show in particular, <laughs> a, a mid fifties sitcom that had I think like thirty eight episodes that I would kind of like to talk about, um, but I'm not sure if I will just because it's a sitcom and, and it might be 38 episodes might be too much to this. I might run out of things very quickly to talk about on that. Um, but yeah, so this is probably, this is the end of what is probably going to be the m- most ep- most episodes of a show. I was going to say longest running, but I don't know if that's quite right. We may do another show at a time that covers more time, but doesn't have as many episodes. Um, but yeah, the most the most episodes of a show we will have, I believe, on eventually Super Train, and it ends here, and I think it ends well. Thank you again, Mitchell. Thank you, Dan. It's been it every minute has been a pleasure. Yes, it's it's been a joy, and um, I th- I think uh, no closing on this episode. I'm just going to sign off and play you a little bit of surprise, Bourbon Street beat. Talk to you guys soon. On my way back to Hollywood. In fact, I'd better not miss my plane. Well, I'll drive you to the airport. Oh, no, that's not necessary. I consider it an honor. No, if you've been away, I'm sure you two have plenty to talk about. May I? My car is right in front. Well, now, I can't turn down all three offers. All right, it would be very sweet of you. It was nice meeting you. Nice meeting you, Miss Gray. And Rex, thanks for everything. Dream.